The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Hi, everyone. We have another guest here today, and I'm going to let Richard, do you go by Richard? you go by Richard? Richard. Introduce himself. Hey, everybody. I'm Richard Warsham. I'm uh, currently a D3 at Creighton University School of Dentistry. Uh, I think where to start exactly. So (laughs) I have a, a weird kind of history to get into dentistry. So after after high school, I went on what's called an LDS mission for two years. So I went to South America. Um, I was in Paraguay, Argentina, and Brazil for two years. And then I came back. And I actually played college bas- basketball at a small university in Utah called the University uh, Utah Eastern. Uh, after about a year and a half playing, I had a pretty bad injury. And I tore a tendon in each ankle. And at the same time, I met my wife. And needed something to tell her tell her father what I, that I was going to do in order to convince her that she wanted that he wanted to let her marry me exactly more or less anyway so I just had a kind of a, a moment of clarity and I realized I wanted to go to do dental school so I transferred to the school she was at which was at Brigham Young University and then I applied to dental school uh, you know three years later after rushing through undergrad and ended up at Creighton, which has been, was not my first choice, but will turn out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's kind of why we're here today is to like compare and contrast dental school experiences a little bit. Um, that's why Richard reached out to me and I think it'll be interesting for everyone. But, um, in terms of your three years of undergrad did, so once you transferred to BYU, that's when you started like pre-dental things. Yeah. So I, bunch of my credits didn't transfer, which was uh, unfortunate, but it was okay. At that point, I had gotten married and I was just ready to focus on doing dental school and you know, got a job and doing, you know, paying my way and all that good stuff. So yeah, I did. So I did it. I went to school full year for two years. And the third year, I took the summer off to study for the DAT, took the DAT and applied and then graduated uh, the spring of 2020. So do you have any like reflections from your application cycle, any regrets, anything you would recommend to people, anything like that? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of good advice for that time. It's been so long. I think I've kind of been erased part of my memory about that because it's so stressful. I so I was taking 15, 16 credit hour courses. I was trying to finish up real quick. Um, and which probably wasn't a good idea, especially the last semester right for the DAT. But at the same time I was taking, I was doing DAT boot camp, 
and I would get up at five in the morning, go to school, study for two hours, and then go to class um, in order to make, make time. And then in the afternoons, I'd go to work. And so I had to make time to study Dabu Camp when I was at school. I did that for the first uh, month and a half. It was like March, April. And then kind of all, you know, COVID lockdowns, all that good stuff happened. And so I actually didn't walk because they didn't do anything for it, which was perfect for my prep. Well, no, actually, that was a year before. Oh, that's year before. Yes. Sorry. I'm I'm jumping ahead. That's okay. um, so 2019, 2019 was, was I finished up the semester. Um, I had three more weeks of study after the semester ended, took the DAT, got my score, um, got my score. I saw it. I was like, good enough. And I applied to schools. If I had to give advice on it, I think the application process is so unique to everyone. I was told my entire undergrad experience, you know, just apply to tons of schools, I, you know, apply throw kind of a wide net. What you don't want to do is you don't want to not get in somewhere the first rotation. And I did not have the most competitive uh, grades, I guess, um, because of basketball. And so the credits that did transfer were, were fine. They weren't, you know, they weren't bad or anything, but they weren't all A's or anything like that. And so I was a little worried about that, but I would say, if I had to do it again, what I would do. So I applied, I think, to 17 schools, I think. Wow. Which is yeah, there's quite a quite a few. Quite a few. And I got I got quite a few interviews. I think I got four or five interviews. Um and I only went to three of those interviews. One was Creighton, the other was Roseman, and then Indiana was the other one. And I went to the, all three of those. Um, but what I would recommend actually is I think I would I would have applied to less. Um, not because you know, like I think a lot of people are concerned about the financial issues, but for me it was more. There were several schools I applied to that were kind of like dream schools. I mean, actually, Michigan was one of them that I applied to and didn't get in. And I think looking back, that it was just it was it was a fun idea. It was a little fantasy in my head of like, going to Michigan and be kind of cool. I had a brother at the time that was living in Michigan, but I think there's some schools that would have knocked off the list and it would have just been more wise about my decisions. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I had similar, like there was a couple schools I applied to, even though I knew either they were a reach statistically or like you can see how many in-state, out-of-state people accept and whatnot. And even though I knew like UNC, for example, didn't take out-of-state students really, except for a few, I still applied there because I was like, oh, it would just be so cool. But that's like such a just waste of time and money and energy. And then on the flip side, I felt like a couple of the schools I applied to, I also could have knocked off because they were kind of like safety schools. And Mm -hmm. from my experience and my peers as well, it seems like those schools don't actually interview people if you're like well above their like normal range also. So like there was schools, it's not the same as applying to undergrad is kind of what I tell people. Like it's not like you're accepted to the places that you're above statistically. They know you're not going to go there. So they want to give their interviews to people that are actually in their range. So you really want to be like spot on with like, percentages of in-state out-of-state your actual statistics your kind of application values all that like you really want to be more selective with it I agree no yeah I'm totally with you I think there's yeah a propensity to reach and also just make sure that you have a little bit of a you know kind of a nest egg in case there are issues I think you should just kind of you know if you're 
like you should look at the statistics and if you're in that range feel confident in applying those schools but you're totally right i think i didn't have a ton of schools that i was you know over you know achieving in but i think there were two one or two that i can think of right now that like i had no intention to really go there i'm sure if i had not gotten in anywhere else and had just gotten into those schools i would have you know accepted and i would have gone which would have been great but I didn't like, I didn't even get interviews or acceptances to those schools, right? Because those schools were also more selective and they, they knew that if I got somewhere else that I wasn't going to go there, right? I mean, Iowa was a good example of that. Actually, I really wanted to go to Iowa. My wife is from Iowa and you know, we ended up close. Creighton's not too far, but we, yeah, I was so excited about going to Iowa and I never even heard back from them ever, right? And their, I mean, their out of state was, I think it's like, they have a hundred and, 510 students like that out of state's like three or four like it's just teeny tiny number there's really no way that i would have ever gotten in i would have had to have been you know statistically perfect and that definitely wasn't me so i think but i also i wish looking back i had enjoyed enjoyed the process a little more i think there's a lot of pressure to make sure you're getting somewhere and you know you don't want to be too greedy about it but when you get into dental school at least this is how i feel now is I am one of, you know, 110, how many in my class. And we, you know, I'm going to be part of this, this elite group of people that can do really awesome things for patients. And, you know, in a year from now, we're going to be able to kind of have a pick of where we want to go work and who we want to be around, you know, and really where we want, want to live to some extent, right? I mean, if I want to go to Michigan, and, you know, in two years, there's a good chance I can find a job somewhere in Michigan, right? That's not something you could say about every job and so i think getting into dental school like when you get first get in you're just grateful to be somewhere but i think taking a little more pride in the fact that you know you are already like if you're applying dental school and you're getting into dental school you're already part of this upper echelon of people that have done really well that worked really hard and you're going to continue to work hard and you're going to refine yourself so i wish i kind of would have enjoyed the process more like i, I when i went to indiana i remember just being like so nervous and i remember like just like and talk to anybody and be like going to my hotel room and just kind of like bunkering down and being like, you know, just like, I was so scared the entire process. And I think I wish I wish I enjoyed, you know, traveling. Like I never, never, I'd never been to Indiana at that time. And I wish I enjoyed traveling to Indiana being there and just enjoying uh, being with people. And that's something that I would, it would change if I could go back. It's really good advice too. Cause it's easy to just be so focused on what's next. What's next. Will I get in? Where am I going to go? Instead of just, enjoying the fact that you got the interview, making the most of it. And also, I just thought it was fun, like seeing your application all together, like all those experiences, all those hours, all those things you did, like seeing it come together, like people should really take a step back and be like, wow, like all my hard work is in this application portal. And I'm proud of myself no matter what happens. Well, it's a massive achievement, regardless of what happens. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are people much more qualified than I was. I mean, I had you know, over a hundred hours shadowing, you know, I had the leadership things I had, you know, all my grades. Like, I mean, this, this is a culmination of, you know, five, seven years of your life. I mean, going back, like, I mean, even like dipping into some of the high, your high school experiences are really part of this. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you do it, you feel, you know, just totally accomplished. You feel like you've arrived to this thing. But yeah. I, I just, I recently saw a, uh, not D1, he's applying. He's uh, going to try to go to Creighton next year. I was talking to him. He was at Creighton. I walked out of my class with my friend and I saw him there sitting there and we asked him, you know, did you just do your interview? He's like, yeah, I just did my interview. And he was telling us like how nervous he was. And I was like, I remember that. I remember being this like, so just like, so stressed. 
right? You just want to get in somewhere. You just want to be accepted. And I totally feel that. I understand that. But looking back, it just seems so trivial now. And I, it's easy to say that, you know, now that I'm here and it's been three years I've been in school. But I, yeah, I wish I would just enjoyed like, you know, this school thought highly enough of you to bring you out, right? To ask you to come to see the school because they think you're a good candidate. Like that's something to be proud of. You know, something to have to be like, oh, okay, like I can actually do this and have a little more confidence in yourself. I mean, dentistry really is just about confidence at the end of the day. And so I think that would have been, you know, good for a younger Richard to hear. Yeah, that's super true. So when it comes to Creighton, I don't know if you were choosing between other schools or Creighton was the only option, but what about the program initially were you excited about? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, So Creighton has a great reputation for being very good clinical school. I've talked to many dentists and not many that actually came from Creighton, but just had worked with people from Creighton. They always said that the clinicians that came out of Creighton were very good. Um, They said they were really well-rounded. They could do a lot of things. Um, And part of that is, we kind of mentioned this before the show, but part of that is there's no specialty programs at Creighton. And so any cases that come in the door <clears throat> go straight to the students. Now there are specialty programs around Creighton. So for example, there's an old maxillofacial surgery, you know, residency at the hospital near us, but that like, that's like, okay, like that, that person sees, that person's also in medical school, right? They're not just extracting teeth. And so, you know, twice a week they come in and they extract, and they do really complex cases where someone's been under, you know, IV sedation, you know, they have nitrous as well. They're doing all these things to kind of, you know, take care of this patient. And that's one patient that I'm not sure to want to see right now anyways. And so that's fine. That's not a big deal. But being able to do a full mouth extraction, I think that's a, something very unique. Um, and being able to, you know, I mentioned this before, being able to do endo, right? To do a full case of endo yourself is something that, you know, Creighton offers. And it was, it was very appealing. It also just felt right. When I went to the other interviews, it just didn't feel like it's where you're supposed to be. And I'm sure you quite had a similar feeling about Michigan, where it's just like, you know, maybe, maybe I just want to be here. Like, it's just, and Creighton kind of called to me. Like I mentioned, my wife is from Iowa. And so Creighton kind of put us close to Iowa. That was really good. But it just felt like a school that, where I could, you know, progress and move forward. And that clinical aspect really made a big deal to me because I have a, a very strong drive to be a very good clinician. <clears throat> so the idea that you can kind of take the ropes off of a student and let them kind of run and figure things out was very appealing to me. And it's very nice now that I'm actually in clinic because the last two years, obviously I haven't been. Um, but looking back, I think that was the big, the big thing was the clinic aspect. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this, like you said, before we started recording, but it's just so different from school to school and our school, because we have all the specialties is great if you want to specialize. And I'm not saying don't go here if you want to be a general dentist, but like you're just getting a different experience. And as we were also saying, every single student at every single school gets a different experience too, because they're not evenly distributing every type of procedure to every student. It's like whatever's in your patient pool. And that's the work you have the opportunity to do, or in my case, opportunity to do, or maybe have to refer even then. So like we've been in clinic since May and I've done three restorations. And I'm delivering my first crown tomorrow. Most people graduate doing one, maybe two endo. And I haven't done any denture actual like start to finish cases yet. So for a lot of people, I've heard similar things that like you 
start off pretty slow early third year and you might start getting your complex patients kind of around this time and then start working on those plans through the end of third year and even lingering into fourth year if it's like extractions and then healing and then pros and all this stuff. So I've gotten a couple new patients where I see that happening, but it's just a slow process. And as you know, the patients aren't guaranteed to always be there to continue with treatment. So just because we planned this extensive year long plan doesn't mean they're going to show up for it. They're going to want to pay for it. They're going to go through everything because a lot of people come in and they're in pain and you're able to address that pain. And then they don't come back, even though they said that they want to start taking care of their dental needs. But now that they're out of pain, nah, I don't really want to deal with it. I hate the dentist. And then they come back months later in pain again. And you're like, well, we could have kept all these teeth, but now more need to be extracted because you have more decay or whatever. Maybe not months, maybe a year or whatever, but it's just dental school's interesting. I'm sure you see similar situations in private practice too, but it's like another level at dental school, I think, because we have the reduced fees. So you're just kind of attracting different patients. No, I, I totally agree. I was smiling that whole time because I was thinking about, I saw a patient uh, maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, and <clears throat> she came in, she referred for you know, a bunch of endo, a bunch of crowns. And I was like, oh man, this is like a coal mine. This is the dream. And brought her in and, you know, did my exam, kind of opened her mouth up. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, all these teeth are just bombed out. And they're just, there's decay everywhere. They look really, really rough. And I knew immediately, I was like, there's not endo happening on these teeth. We're going to have to extract these teeth. Like it's going to be extractions. She was like, we can't save any of them. And I was like, you don't understand. Like I can see like your roots and all your teeth. Like they're just, there's so much recession. Like, um, and after talking to one of, one of my professors, he was like, oh yeah, that's a C over C case. Like it's, that's a complete denture over a complete denture. Like you gotta extract those teeth and put a denture in. <clears throat> and so I, I just you know, was like, Hey, are you in pain? She's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in pain. I'm in pain. So why don't we do the extractions? And she, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, but like extractions at dental school are very cheap, right? Like almost like criminally so, they're so cheap. And she saw the price. Like, so I, I was like, hey, let's do the extraction. She's like, okay, we stood up, we were walking back to schedule her an oral surgery. And she turned to me and was like, that's the price. And I was like, yeah, she's like, I can't do that. She walked out. And I was like, what the heck? Like, she was talking about how, she, you know, how much pain she was in, how comfortable she was. And she just, was like, I can't afford that, which I totally understand. But it's funny because she came, she come in for crowns and endo. Like, what did she think was going to be the cost of these? I mean, I'm yeah, right? like in comparison. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Um, for, I'm curious, because you were saying you can pretty much tackle whatever comes into clinic. How did your pre-clinic training work? Like, what did you do first and second year when it comes to labs? Because ours was, I'm assuming, pretty different. Yeah, I uh, so I I don't know a ton about other schools. This is one of the reasons why I've enjoyed listening to your podcast is because it's been interesting to hear the process. Um, so our first year was almost all just coursework, like it was just lectures. There's there was a decent amount of you know doing class ones. Um, I don't think I'd be actually tackled at class two until the beginning of my D two year. I think I'm not mistaken. We did class we did a class some type from class fives some class ones. Um, we we had a full, and I'm not sure if other schools do this, but this is like one of the things that bothers me about creating is our first course was dental anatomy and you had to carve teeth out of wax. Uh, waxing's the worst. It's I'm still yeah. so bad at it. 
So it's a nightmare. And they so they had you carve like they gave us these big pieces of the wax. And you had to carve like anatomically correct, like you know, like proportionally sized teeth. And I actually have one, but I said I think I have them upstairs. I have my teeth still. And like you have to like carve a, for a like a maxillary first molar with you know with a palatal root, mesial distal roots, and you had to like place the furcation in the correct way, have to be shaped correctly. Horrible class. And I remember my to that class, I'm pretty sure I got to be. And I was grateful to get to be get out of my class. It was so hard. And I remember coming home being like, I can't do this. I just can't do dental school. It's so hard. <clears throat> so like we had a couple of lab courses, but the majority of it was um was like lectures. We had anatomy, we had histology, you know, microbiology. You had you know, essentially all of your your senior level courses that you took your last year uh, or second second to last year of undergrad, you took again in dental school, right? But they're all just together. Right? So biochemistry is in there. Um physiology, all that good stuff. And so we took, that was like the full first year. And then pittle, kind of pittering out the end of the first year, you had, you started adding more more courses. So we had operative was added. Um, I think we started doing, I think we talked, like we, we just took, took an inclusion course, which made, made no sense at the time, but looking back, I'm like, oh, that's, that's what they're saying. Um, but so then yeah, starting in the second year was like, you kept the same amount of didactic and we just threw you into lab as well. So you got, all of your lecturing stuff. Like, so you had your 20 something hours that you had as a lecture, but you also get the lab portion. And so we were in lab like four days a week. Yeah, like for like half days. Um, and then the fourth, and then the fifth day you were in lab in the morning and then you went down to the clinic to do, you know, profies, which I'm sure I think you guys did as well. We were supposed to, but we didn't. And there's second years now are supposed to but still not being allowed to. So maybe ah, next year it'll go back to normal. That's that's so hard. Ah, I can't you know. imagine. Um, and like, it's, that's also like the worst doing the profies. It's so stressful. I remember the first time doing it and just being absolutely terrified. And like, you're with another classmate and they're helping you and you have no idea how to use Axiom or how to do any, like anything on there. And so you're following, like, they give you a sheet that has like the steps you're supposed to do. <clears throat> so that was the D2 year. And then, and then we actually started, we started in clinic in end of April. Um, because the D4s had you know technically graduated and we had our our D3 white coat ceremony. And we got our we went we got into clinic and the and so um yeah, I was trying to think. So at the beginning of D2 year, we had a lot of fixed. Um, we had a partial crash course. So we did all of our removable partial stuff. And then we did the next semester was all of just dentures. And then and we started doing endo. Um, like we talked about you know, doing access preps and you know how they look different on different teeth and things like that. And then like more intense operative stuff. Or yeah. So we started doing like complex, like you know, you have a cap a cusp, or like you have to do back to back, you know, class twos and how which how you do how do you do it, how do you shape it? So D2 year was like all that. It was, you know, it's just, just hellfire running down. It was so much so quick. And then it kind of just threw me in a clinic. And I, you know, my first patient was a perio patient. And we had, we had never really talked about how to measure gingival margins to calculate, you know, clinical attachment loss. Like, I'm sure we talked about it, but like of all the things I was thinking about, it was not perio, it was not one of them. And I remember just being absolutely terrified looking at this guy's mouth and he had like pocket depths of like fives and sixes. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and and like that same same appointment, 
my first appointment, my friend had, you know, a crown prep, right? He was thrust in the clinic. He's doing crown prep, right? On number 14. And it's like, he's doing a crown prep on an axillary molar and he's never done this before. And so <clears throat> it just, it was totally different. Like you kind of alluded to this about things being different depending on the student, but I, I felt fairly prepared with lots of things coming to clinic. Like I, I felt like uh, I could do almost any class one. I felt pretty confident I could do a class one. I was a little terrified of class twos. I think I'm still a little bit of terrified of class twos. Um, but uh, I was really scared of denture, of dentures, of endo. Um, but I was really fortunate. I had, had an endo case early on with a patient that really needed it. And so she couldn't really get out of not doing it. And so it kind of thrust me into, into doing the endo. And so that's been really good for me, even though it was really hard. So um, I think overall, the the, the lab experience at Creighton was, was pretty good. I, there's some things I wish they had gone over more, like this is a controversial topic, but I actually wish they had gone over more perio stuff in, in lab because I probably spent 30% of my time in clinic this semester doing um, either like scaling and root planing <clears throat> or like doing uh, patients that have, you know, like periodontal maintenance. So they've done, you know, they've initiated their periodontal therapy and then have had to continue to do that. And so you're seeing them every three months and like, so how do you go about doing that? Um, and so I, I kind of wish we talked about it more, but we never did. And so that's been like kind of like a fire hose is learning all the perio stuff. Um, and it's just been my case. Like I have other friends that have done other things that have been a lot of harder, right? But for me, it's like, I didn't really know perio, but now that I'm getting other things and they're doing the perio, it's kind of evening out more or less. But so I think overall it was, it was a good experience. I really enjoyed the way we kind of did the lab stuff. I actually wish we did more, some lab stuff now. We actually don't go to the lab anymore. So like you, I heard you're mentioning that like, I think some of your courses, you still go up to the lab. Yeah, like we did at the work. start of third year. So like the summer semester, we did endo and implants in the sim lab. Okay. Um, but again, like we don't, like we basically don't do endo and then we don't get to place implants or anything. So it was just like conceptually for us to learn it and practice it, even though we're probably not going to do it ourselves. So it didn't really matter that we were already in clinic when we were taking the class and doing the hands-on because we weren't going to probably do it anyways. <laughs> um, so thinking about what you said, the main differences I noticed is we start sim lab right away when you start dental school, we start our preclinic and you start with they changed it now. And I think it makes way more sense. Now they start with class fives, then class ones. And I think that makes sense because class five, you can like see everything. <laughs> so that makes sense. We did class ones, class twos, class threes, class fives and fours or something like that. So we did class twos like <laughs> second because you already kind of knew the occlusal. Now you just drop a box. So easy. Not so easy. Because so they'll probably a, like, a, yeah. Class four to class five are the same thing, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So it was interesting but um I really didn't mind it though but the big thing is like first year you do cavity preps and fills second year you never do those again and then you start clinic and you have a patient to do a cavity oh. prep on so it's kind of weird and then like our second year is crown and bridge and then complete denture one semester partial denture one semester and then you start third year and start clinic so that was like the big thing that I think is weird that you don't like it a little bit as you go of everything, but I don't know. We had a lot of, I feel like thinking back, like we've had really strong fundamentals in terms of lectures. Like they've been very 
thorough and clear about everything and very like repetitive. That's what stressed me out at first. First year was like, how am I going to be a good dentist? Like there's so much information to know and you just feel so guilty if you forget something, but we're still learning. But like, I was like, how am I ever going to be a good care provider? Like it just, it isn't going to happen. What if I forget something? So I've noticed now after three years of school, the important things they have probably told me genuinely a thousand times. So like, I know the key, key, key things that I'm supposed to, and the other things that are maybe like level two and three of knowledge are also being repeated all the time. It's like the super obscure things I might forget and have to look up, but like they make sure that, you know, those essential things. And that made me feel better now looking back. Well, I, I want to ask you a question, actually. I think you're so, still muted. Am I still muted? Oh, now you're good. <laughs> okay. So I want to ask you a question real quick. So, yeah. So that's what, one thing I've learned. I feel like my D3 classes are essentially just D1 and D2, maybe a tiny bit more. But like we have operative right now. And it's essentially just like basic, you know, pin placement. This is kind of what we're talking about, right? Or just like basic, like, okay. Like, how do you create your walls when you, you know, do you diverge or convert? It's like, we know this stuff. Is that how it is for you too? Like, it's just like more basic with the little things added on. So I would say first year was all the same kind of classes you mentioned. Second year, we did like all the systems of the body. So kind of more like med curriculum in a way, but it was all like tied back to dentistry, but it was like every, you know, nervous system, respiratory, GI, GU, all that. Um, and then tied back to like, occasionally this can affect dentistry with this condition or this medication, the patient beyond you'd want to look at this. So once you got through all of that, then we've pretty much been taking a class on like every specialty, like every semester. And then we have like our clinical credits and that's really it. So there's like pretty much always like a perio an endo an ortho peds kind of everything that you do. And then like a fixed pros or like removable pros, like something kind of of each discipline. And we just keep getting like more advanced, like you were saying, just going like into greater detail and reiterating a lot of the information. We don't take, I guess we don't take endo and ortho like every semester, but they've, we've had all of them multiple times. We've had like three pediatrics, two endos. We've had like seven perio classes. We have perio like every semester. So when you were saying you don't feel like you knew hundred percent of perio, we, we went in on the perio for sure. You know your stuff in Perio. That's good. Oh, your audio is out again. I don't know why. Oh, sorry. You You're good. <laughs> You're good now. I should, I should just wait a second. I think it needs to take <laughs> back in one second. No, that's good. I'm glad you know your Perio. That's good. Because I think they try really hard to repair us, but it's a different, it's different, you know, seeing it on a model. than seeing Yeah. It it's different time. from reading a lecture slide to doing something in person. hundred percent. Like yeah. I was so ready to be done with sim lab like I felt like I'd practice enough reps of all the things on the fake teeth like I just want to get in real patient scenarios because real people are so much more complex in all the different ways I just need to practice on real patients so that's where we are now and it's like so fun it's just clinic can be frustrating as you know in all the different ways but like it's so nice just being in clinic and like we I feel like get really early clinical exposure even though we're not doing like a advanced procedures like you start assisting your first year and you're up in the clinic like once or twice like at least like two or three times a month from first year on and then as you go each semester they increase the requirements 
like now we have to assist in theory we're supposed to assist three times a week which like there's not time to do that like yeah like we're supposed to I don't know how I'll get on I usually am on top of it but I've been busy with my own patients so I haven't been assisting as much basically they want you there every single minute that the clinic is open if you're not seeing a patient they want you to assist someone and I feel like that's been great getting exposure to like maybe I haven't done it but I can go sit with the whole procedure of someone doing something that I'm curious about or like we were learning all the denture stuff in lab and it like doesn't really make sense because you don't really have a real patient there and you're just reading slides or looking at a mannequin but going to see border molding up in the clinic made it make a lot more sense. So because we have that flexibility to like pick and choose what we want to assist and like are forced to be assisting, I feel like I've learned a lot. But at the same time, seeing someone do something is a step beyond a lecture, but doing it yourself is what you really need. And that's where I'm still just patiently waiting my turn for a lot of things. Well, I feel that way about dentures or partials. I feel like you know, there are so many steps, right? Like in dental school, they're like, you know, eight appointments or something stupid, right? You have all these appointments in order to make sure everything's, you know, set up correctly. You get, you get a good impression and you have to set the teeth. Anyway, so it's really tedious. And I wish almost that they had let me see someone do it. That like my D2 year or something, they would have been like, okay, so-and-so is doing a denture on this patient. Here are the appointment dates. You need to be at every single one so you can see this process. Like that would have changed the entire experience because I'm currently doing a denture for a patient, maybe a denture over a partial. And I've never seen those two done together. So I have no idea how the process works together, right? Like I, I've seen them each done separately. But like, how do you intertwine those? Like, that's, that's a nightmare. And so it's just one of the, you know, the lovely benefits of being in clinic where you're trying to figure out how to balance the entire world, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, before we wrap up, because I don't want to keep you too late, do you have any other like things you were dying to share with people that you think is helpful for them to know? I didn't share. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think, I think it's good to say, but I think the biggest thing is I've been feeling very grateful recently with just the idea of dental school. I think, you know, being a dentist is an amazing profession and enables you to do lots of wonderful things and lots of, and enables you to change a lot of people's lives. And I think one of the reasons that I really have enjoyed it recently is because it's something that's so stigmatized. And I hate that word, but it is something that a lot of people hate. I mean, you mentioned this, you have a, you have a patient that talks about like, you know, they, they hate coming to the dentist. And I totally understand why they don't like a dentist. I get it. Like, how the things I do, I cause you pain. And I'm aware of that. But I I love being able to explain things to people. Like, why, as a dentist, I do this. I do this because of this. And it, it kind of sheds a little light on that. And I still think that dentistry is, you know, the best profession. I still think that's, you know, it's a wonderful uh, path. Um, the one thing I re- I've realized recently is that it's much harder than I thought it was going to be. I think it's a really good thing, but it's also very intimidating. Uh, I I was telling you this a little bit before, but I had the opportunity on this really young patient. Uh, she had very a very deep carious lesion, and it got into the pulpit. And so my doctor was like, "Okay, like you're going to do the endo on her." And so I scheduled her to come back into the endo, and it was like it was one of the worst experiences of my life. It was so hard. Um, this is this is you know. It's a, Molar tooth had four canals, 
and it's really difficult for anyone that knows actually how to do endo. I'm sure. I'm sure if you're you know you're a real dentist, you're probably thinking, well, oh, not bad, I've done that before. But it was one of my first times ever doing endo, and it took three appointments, which is a nightmare. So it took you know 12 hours essentially of time to do this endo. And I remember one point I was uh, we we do endo, you file the canal down to get to the apex of the root to find the working length, and then you know, so you're using these files, you're incrementally going up the, the size of the file to increase the width of the canal. And at one point, I kept bending one of the files. And if you've seen the files, they're just really thin things. You know, the file bends really easily. You can put it, it hits, it hits the wall. And I was so frustrated. I the, the file bent in half, and when it bends in half, it's done. Like you can't use the file anymore, and you have to throw it away anyway. So you end up with it. I just remember taking the file and just like crushing the file in my hand, like dropping on the tray. I was so frustrated. And I kind of, you know, set, took, took a moment, kind of said a little prayer, and I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this. And I, I finished it up that appointment, and I was so just overwhelmed with how with how wonderful that felt, being able to actually do this with patient. Like, this patient came in, she had a lot of pain. Um, when I, I put the temporary restoration in her mouth after she had the pulpal exposure, she told me she had never seen the tooth fully intact. And like I was like, oh my gosh, like this tooth doesn't even look good. Like wait till I put a crown on this thing, like it's so much better. So I just think there's there's a lot of opportunity to really change people's lives and to do really wonderful things if you are willing to put the time in to work really hard to do things. Um, you know, and it's frustrating with school and you want to do lots of different things, and school kind of holds you back because they're trying to make sure you don't do anything stupid. Um, but I just getting more and more excited for the future and the opportunities that await us as you know we finish school and we are actually able to see more patients and i'm really excited for when we're d4s you know and school finally starts actually giving us things to do um instead of just getting them to the d4s but um I mean, i'm just really grateful and i'm grateful for the opportunity to come on and talk and you know to to you and to share my experiences um, and i think it's good to hear different experiences um, good or bad in order to kind of learn you know what's out there and you know, creating uh, dentistry is a profession that I think more people should look into doing. And it brings lots of sat satisfaction, but you have to be sure that you want to do it because it's a very niche thing that, you, you know, you're joining. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And I'm thankful for you being on here tonight, too. Can you share if people have questions about Creighton or like moving states or having a family in dental school? Those are probably good things to ask you about. Um, yeah. have like a good way for them to reach out. Yeah, I'm, I can give you my my Creighton email address. I'm more than willing to respond to that. Um, so it's just R A W, and that's one five four nine seven at Creighton.edu. And Creighton is C R E I G H T O N. Please feel free to reach out, ask any questions. Um, like I said, I you know I'm moved from Utah where I. My family, well, I grew up to Nebraska, um, have two kids. So I've, you know, I know how to try to balance that, that life is. And so I'm more than happy to help with anyone that has any questions about it. I'm, I'm not sure I'm the greatest resource, but I'd be happy to help. No, I'm sure you are a great resource. You have good expertise and experience to share. Just talking about your own life helps people more than I think people realize because it just allows them to see ahead a little bit and gain some hope, I guess, for like, things will work out. Everything will be okay. Yes. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, I hope you have a good one.